Good afternoon, everyone. Allison Scobberg here, Consolidated Planning Group. We are excited to be here today with Family to Family Network. So thank you for taking your time uh, to be with us on your lunch hour. Um, so let me just go over a couple of housekeeping items. We've got a lot of things that we're going to cover in an hour today. So we are going from 12 to 1. We are in webinar mode, um, and what that means is that we can't see you or hear you, but we do know that you're out there, and we're glad you're here. Um, we really strive for our webinars to be a little bit interactive, and we want to answer as many questions as we can. So we invite you to put your questions today in the chat box as we're going through the presentation. They're going to be monitoring the chat box and going to read out uh, the questions to us, and we're going to answer just as many as we can. A um, couple of things, a couple of additional things that I wanted to mention to you um, is that uh, today's um, webinar is being recorded and after today's presentation you will get a copy of today's slides and the recording so you don't have to write down every single thing that we talk about. There's going to be a lot that we're going to be um, talking about so you will get a copy of, of those slides. Um, and then I also just wanted to mention um, that from a perspective of family to family network, I am excited uh, to just uh, kind of, you probably have received an email on this, but there is a family to family, the 16th annual uh, special education parent conference and resource fair. It's back and it is in person and it is on January 21st and they are going to put links in there for you to register for that conference. Um, but there are going to be a lot of great speakers that day, a lot of information, a lot of education, a lot of resources. Um, so if you don't have plans on, on January 21st, you're going to want to register for that conference. And it's going to be held at the HCC campus um, in Katy. Um, so I just wanted to mention that so that way everybody can have that on their radar. So again, Allison Scobber, Consolidated Planning Group. Guys, we're a holistic special needs financial planning firm. Um, we help families, the, the families that we serve um, have loved ones with a disability and we, um, you know, help, uh, you know, kind of come up with future care cost estimates. We're nationally certified as Social Security Advisors, members of the Special Needs Planning Academy, and we partner with you on your journey as you're planning uh, for your loved one with special needs. And so that's really what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and um, we're going to start out with Inger Clark uh, this morning from Family to Family, and she's going to kind of talk a little bit about charting the life course. And this is going to complement um, beautifully with the, the topics that we're going to be uh, talking about today. So Inger, uh, thank you. It's such a pleasure uh, to be back with you today. So I'm going to just turn it over to you. Okay, thank you so much. Um, we think these tools that we use from charting the life course are so helpful in parents to start thinking about planning for the future. Sometimes you always find that you're always in the mode of rushing to get something done. And so just taking the opportunity to meet with your family to support the individual with a disability um, is so important and documenting and being able to share because we think that uh, in the event that you're no longer with us, you're able to, uh, the caregiver that is caring for the person with a disability, um, there is some documents that someone else can just pull off a shelf. We always tell them to put it in a binder. Um, so I'm going to just share some of the forms with you, but I want to also share what um, life course the fr uh, framework is, and it's about ha everyone having the right to live, love, work, and play and have their own aspirations. Everybody has something that they want to do for life. And they also, and we talk about having a vision. It's very important when you start off, when you first have your child, you're always thinking about they're gonna to go to college, um, you know, they're gonna get married. Um, and that has for so long, had not been a thing that was even thought about with children with disabilities. But now we have that. We look at them that they can do anything and aspire to be anything that they would want to be, but we want them out in the community. So, so this is just some forms to show you. Uh, Allison is going to have some great information, but here is how our forms will fit into you when you're talking about um, uh, charting the life course. Now, this form here is so simple. It's just thinking about the family having an opportunity to think about the vision. What is a vision that you may have for yourself or your child um, as they grow? What do you want them to do? And then there's another part on the bottom where it says what you want. And we always say you, it's easier for you to say what you don't want to be able to go to what you do want. So this is a great opportunity to think about that. This is a starter for you. 
You can get go to the next slide. Okay, and this form right here is another one because sometimes we forget how to plan as far as what are we gonna need for technology, how relationships are gonna intertwine in our future. And uh, you know that sometimes you may have friends when you graduate uh, high school that you don't see anymore, you go to college. So it's, we need to talk about how those uh, friendships can help you to uh, support the individual with a disability. And then also the community base, we talk about that also because it's what you have now to what you're gonna need for the future. So all of this star, the integrated star is just about thinking about the future, what you have now and what may change in your life. So you can document that. Now, this is a great form. And we say you can use this on a new job interview. You can use this form when you go to uh, your first art meeting. Each time that your child may change schools or uh, get a new teacher, this is just some information. Uh, what uh, what uh, it just tells you about this person. It gives you an insight on who they are. What do, how can you support them? What are their likes and what do you admire about them? So you bring this, this mom can bring this form to her first art meeting and she can kind of introduce uh, the child or the individual with a disability. So they get an insight and they go, okay, they're just not the name on the paper. This is a person that has aspirations. So this is a great opportunity to introduce anyone to someone for the fir very first time. So if you want more, I have a lot more forms with Charting the Life course. And we really say this, these forms can be used even with someone um, that does not have a disability. It's for all abilities. You can use this form to plan. So, and we talk about, you know, our parents are getting older. So sometimes we want to start planning for that as well. So these forms can also um, be used, especially this one when you go to the doctor and you want to know, he needs to know a lot. They ask you a lot of questions and you, and you can't remember sometime you go to the doctor, you can put it on paper and bring it with you. So this is a great opportunity. So if you want to know more information about Charting a Life course and their tools, certainly reach out to Family and Family Network. We can set up a small group if you would like with your family or with friends that support anyone with a disability. And thank you for your time. Um, Inger, you know, this one-page profile, I've been reading and seeing a lot more about these um, over the last year. And I've I'm definitely seen and maybe some of the families here, if you, you know, I know that when we have, you know, multiple people on a webinar, that we have people in all stages of life. Maybe they have kids mm -hmm. transitioning. Maybe they have some younger kids or newly diagnosed or things like that. But this is, that one-page profile is really helpful for teachers yes. and educators as well. Um, and, and so we've been seeing that used a lot. So thank you for sharing that. And so you guys have these toolkits um, and they can reach out to family to family to learn more and, and get help with the, this this kind of planning is right yes perfect okay thank you um so today um, um later this is what i forgot to mention in the beginning is that we also have a, a survey um family to family they have grants and things like that and they have surveys that are required as a, as a part of the grant and they are going to put those surveys in the chat box uh, the survey is in the slide as well and so we do ask um today that you will complete the survey um, for family to family if you can do that that would be most appreciated so thank you for that um all right, so we're um, going to kind of get started about, you know, planning. We're talking about planning for special needs and kind of you know, on the heels of charting the course and things like this. And so I, I always start with the buckle up because we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. And it's okay. Um, some, some of the stuff is repetitive. We do a lot of webinars every single week um, on various topics. All the topics are surrounding um, you know, individuals with a disability and planning for special needs. And so I preface everything that we're getting ready to talk about to say that almost every single one of the things that we're going to hit on today has an entire webinar dedicated to that very specific topic um, because, you know, um, things get deep and wide when we start talking about individuals with a disability and planning for them. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things to know. There's a, a lot of, um, you know, kind of roadblocks to avoid and things like that. So um, 
we do have this in the chat box and I know they're going to put it in the chat box again, but we do have a YouTube channel, a consolidated planning group, YouTube channel where you can subscribe um, for free and all of our past webinars on various topics. I mean, you, you name it, it can be SSI and Medicaid. It could be special needs, trust, guardianship, letters of intent. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. There's over 200 webinars on that YouTube channel. So if there's a specific topic kind of for the, for the step that you're on and in the planning process, you can go out there and you, you can view that. And then um, also in today's presentation, there is a link for our upcoming webinars and you can register for those for free. They're always free and they typically run every once in a while. We'll have one in the evening, but they typically run during the week um, um, between 12 and one. Okay. So getting started, um, we suggest having a letter of intent. This may have be, be something that you've heard of before. It may be something that you've never heard of. Um, at Consolidated Planning Group, we actually have a template um, for a letter of intent. And, and really, um, I, I liken this to a family love letter. Um, as parents, um, we know more. I always say that we know more. Uh, we forgot more than anybody will ever know as it relates to planning for our kids and what makes them you know, work, what makes things fall apart, what's good, what's bad, um, et cetera. And really what the letter of intent for is for is that if you are incapacitated or you're no longer here on earth, um, that it's your wishes for your loved one are communicated clearly. Things are well documented um, and that, that, you know, all of the, the bottom line is, is we just go through the motions. This is what we do. We, you know, we have a plan and we work our plan and we know this stuff backwards and forwards. But if we're no longer here, um, sometimes even in your own household, like, so if you're the primary caregiver and the other um, spouse is working outside of the home, sometimes they don't even know all the stuff that, that the other caregiver is doing. So that's what that's for. We'll talk uh, a little bit more uh, about that um, in a moment. So we, we suggest you work with a special needs planner to help you formulate a plan um, and really understand the differences between a, just a traditional financial advisor and an advisor that is truly nuanced and special needs, and that's what their practice is. There's over 250,000 financial advisors in the U.S. and less than 125, and I don't mean 125,000, less than 125 total are nuanced and special, special needs. But our situation is, as parents with a loved one with a disability, our situation is specialized, and it is important that you work and, and put the right people on your team, um, paying attention to those special things that, that matter as it relates to the overall planning, um, money in the right buckets, preserving eligibility for state and federally funded programs, et cetera. Um, we also suggest working with an estate planning attorney that is well-versed in special needs. And, and so um, a lot of times there's confusion on what is the difference between a special needs planner and a special needs attorney? Aren't they the same? Don't they do the same thing? We get calls every week for people asking us to do a special needs trust or to set up guardianship. Um, and so I liken it, the, the bottom line is, is you need both. You need the special needs financial planner and you need the estate planning attorney. And they have two very different, different roles. We're the money. We're the money in the right buckets, making sure that there is enough money to fund the special needs trust, how much money is needed to, to fund the special needs trust, planning those things carefully. Because when we have a loved one with a disability that has care needs for the rest of their life, it's like a third retirement bucket. And in some cases, families that have more than one child with a disability, you've got a fourth retirement bucket. So we really have to plan carefully. Um, when it comes to working with an estate planning attorney, um, I again, your situation is specialized. So I, I liken this that if you have a heart problem, you're not going to go to your PCP. You're not going to go to a podiatrist. You're going to go see a cardiologist. And that's the same thing when it comes to special needs planning. You need to you need to see a specialist. So your your neighbor next door that's the real estate attorney, or your brother that is the corporate law attorney. They're not who you want to work with, even if it is free when it comes to crafting a special needs trust or discussions surrounding guardianship or other matters like that. Um, we do have referrals for awesome attorneys all across the state of Texas um, that can help you in your planning needs. So if you need a referral, we're happy to provide that. Um, we want you to gather all of the necessary planning documents. What are these? These are your statements, your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, any wills, any um, legal documents that you already have in place. This could be your social security statements. Don't forget old pension plans from former employers. Um, um, 
sometimes we see things, um, we still see things like CDs or old um, savings bonds that grandparents purchased, things like that. Um, And all types of insurance that you have in place. This is life insurance, disability, health insurance, uh, long-term care, all those types of things are what goes into the planning process. But we really want people to think about, and this kind of goes into what Inger was talking about, your vision of how you hope things will look. And I, I, I should underline for both you and your loved one. We don't have to be told to think about our loved one. We're always thinking about our loved ones um, and how we can improve their quality of life and, and the next steps in the future and those types of things. But so often as we're thinking about others, we put ourselves on the back burner. And um, I like to say that, you know, this is the marathon, you know, the long haul, not the sprints. Um, and so that comes to, to us and, and our overall well-being as parents and our own health and what semblance of retirement, um, what does that look like for us? So if you have a loved one that's going to have care needs for the rest of their life, not just yours, your retirement might look a little bit different. And that's totally okay. And most parents I talk to, they're totally okay with that. But we have to have some balance. Um, you want to have you know, some, um, some vision of what you hoped your retirement would look like. There has to be some respite in there, some, some help. And there, um, and, and there also has to be some of that autonomy that your loved one can have in forming friendships and bonds and and growing um in their in their learning and their their education and just as a human in general so those things just don't forget yourself is the main thing so we talked about a letter of intent a moment ago and this is just a kind of a quick highlight um, of what a, a, the letter of intent and kind of what it entails. Um, and this doesn't really clearly um, communicate that, honestly. Our letter of intent template is 20 pages long. As a matter of fact, I think we'll send that out today. Um, we'll go ahead and attach um, our our template free of charge. It's form fillable. Um, but this is, you know, you're going to take the time to fill in this information of all of things about your loved one. And I think it's important that um, a couple of things to mention. Number one, you can't do this all in one sitting. Number two, when you're doing the letter of intent, it can actually be a little bit emotional because it's kind of like, um, I don't know, as you're reflecting back of where are we, where we've been, where we're going, and, you know, those types of things, it can be kind of an emotional thing when you're going through this. So, you know, give yourself some grace, take some time, say, I'm going to get this completed over the next month or three or something like that. And then what what we do is we really recommend that you update that maybe twice a year. Um, and, and, you know, if your situation with your loved one is more fluid and ever changing and, you know, medical stuff changing very quickly, you might want to um, change that um, or update it more frequently. But I think it is important um, to have that in your toolbox of all of, all of the, the things that you're organizing and, um, and getting together. Um, guys, how are we on questions? Are we okay on questions so far? We have a question. Yeah. Okay. Um, they want to know if, it's, if all the forms are in Spanish. Do you have any forms in Spanish? Um, we don't have those forms in Spanish. Um, I, I'll have to check to see if we can convert it. I, we we have a tool and we might be able to convert it in Spanish, um, but it is not in Spanish at this time. And I don't know um, if Family to Family has a tool to put that in, in Spanish, but we can we can definitely check on that. Any additional okay. questions? No others. I'd right like now. to ask you, Alison, about that, um, that question specifically, um, having those documents in Spanish, they have to be uh, notarized or legalized or presented in English anyway, right? They don't have to be notarized. Um, uh, a letter of intent. So when we're talking about wills, powers of attorney, healthcare powers of attorney, special needs trust, all those types of things, those are going to be notarized. But your letter of intent, um, and there's actually even a free space. It's 20 pages long, but there are several pages of free space to where you can write a letter to a family member where you can speak your heart. This is what my goals are. This is what my intentions were. You should know this, X, Y, Z. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of free space for writing, but there is a lot of definitive spaces that are just basically, you know, this is the child's name. This is the social. Mm-hmm. This is the, the date of birth. This is the name, address, and phone number of all of their doctors. Here's the name, um, names of diagnosis, states of diagnosis. Here are the medications and what they're for. I mean, it just goes on. Here's our religious preferences. Here are our final expense preferences. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff um, in there. And so, so it, but it's a document that you keep on file um, in, in your home. Maybe you mm-hmm. save it on your your a flash drive or on your computer. But I do think it's important. So you have to make a decision. Do you want to share this with somebody else now? 
or do you want to let somebody know where it is if you die or become incapacitated? Because sometimes people are private and they don't want to share all this information um, Mm -hmm. now. And other people would like to just have a conversation about it. And the person knows like, you know, it's my sister or, you know, whoever it might be. Um, We not only do they have it, we've talked about it. They know about it. Like, you know, so you have to make that decision, but it absolutely does not have to be notarized. Okay. All right. Thanks. All right. So here's where um, we is. This is where it starts, um, you know, getting confusing. Yesterday, we had a a Zoom meeting with the Social Security Administration. And quite honestly, there just wasn't enough time to go over all of the questions that were out there. And um, and there was just a lot of information that was that we didn't get to um, yesterday. So I am excited. I want to tell you that one of the biggest um, things that come up um, in our practice all the time are people having questions with SSI and Medicaid, switching from SSI to SSDI and Medicare, waivers, um, you know, all of all of those things, you know, um, childhood disability benefits under a parent's record. These are questions, and we are nationally certified as Social Security Advisors, so we do help with that. Uh, we help with that all day, every day, and that, that is what we do. And I also further wanted to mention uh, that we will be speaking at that conference on January 21st, the Family to Family um, Special Education Parent Conference that we were talking about. Um, and our topic will be on all of those things, SSI, Medicaid, SSDI, Medicare, um, how to preserve the eligibility. We're going to talk about the childhood disability benefits. So if you have questions, if you have confusion, uh, if you feel like, oh my gosh, I am not equipped to deal with this, um, come to that session. That session is going to be very, um, very helpful. And um, we're going to provide a lot of information and what um, maybe you walk in confused and, and hopefully you will walk out and, and feel uh, much more equipped to, to kind of, um, you know, kind of take one bite out of the, you know, out of that giant elephant um, with, with the Social Security Administration. So, um, big thing um, here is, you know, we're, we talk about funding our, our, our children um, and their future care. One of the things, and this is just one, um, you know, one of many is we want to preserve their eligibility for state and federally funded programs. So we're, you know, really talking about SSI under Title 16 and SSDI under Title 2. We're going to go into a little bit more details on that. Um, there are, you know, there are, the SSI program is a means-based program. So the individual has to be disabled. And um, and then they have to hit the means test. And basically for an individual, it's um, less than $2,000 in their name. They can have one house, one car, and less than $2,000 in their name. So that is the means-based program. And so for a lot of families, um, their kids, when their kids are under age 18, many families do not qualify for SSI and Medicaid because it is based off of the parents' assets and income. When the child is under 18, SSI qualifications are based off of the parents' assets and income. So many people don't qualify. Many people have applied before. They've been denied. And then when the child turns 18, they don't apply again because they had a bad experience. So the first thing I want to make sure that you guys understand is even if your child is under age 18 and they didn't qualify for SSI and Medicaid before, when your child with a disability turns 18, that the the requirements change. It's based off of their income and assets, not the parents. And this is true even if you have guardianship, even if they live under your roof. So you want to um, you want to reapply for for SSI and Medicaid once they turn 18, and you want to make sure that you have the money in the right buckets. So that way they are going to qualify. So there's a couple of things here. So right now. 2023, the new amount for SSI is 914 per month. It was 841 last year. Um, there is a such thing as a one-third reduction um, for housing. So if you don't have a rent or a fair share agreement, so if your child was getting SSI and you say, hmm, they weren't getting 841 a month, they were getting 561 a month, that tells me that you need to submit a rent or a fair share agreement to get that amount put up to the full amount. SSI is designed to pay for food and shelter, okay? And so they basically are saying if the kid isn't paying rent, then um, then they're going to reduce that SSI amount by that one-third. So just know that. Um, so for 2023, the amount is $914 um, per month, and with SSI comes um, Medicaid, okay? So the big thing with Medicaid, there's a lot of families that say, well, I, I don't even like Medicaid. We have private insurance, and it's way better. Our providers 
aren't in network with Medicaid, et cetera, et cetera. We hear all kinds of stuff like that. But then we also have other families that have critical care um, needs and Medicaid is really providing uh, a lot for those families. So we, you know, we hear, we hear both sides, but the bottom line is, is we have waivers in the state of Texas. Um, these are waivers that you've heard of before. There's a lot of, there's a long waiting list. Sometimes we hear that the waiting list is as many as 17 years. And so these waivers that I'm talking about, we have an entire presentation on waivers and we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but they're designed to waive off some of the cost of care for caring for an individual with a disability to keep them in home and community-based services and outside of an institution or a facility. That's the point of these waivers. So um, all of these waivers are Medicaid waivers. So even if you say, I don't like Medicaid or I have private insurance or I don't need Medicaid, um, you do want to keep your child Medicaid eligible for that reason, because they have to be Medicaid eligible for those waivers when they come up on the list. So we'll talk more about that in a few. Um, so, uh, so one place, uh, so a special needs trust, there's two places that you can have money above and beyond the $2,000, the means-based test for, um, for SSI. One place is a special needs trust, um, and another place is an ABLE account. So we'll talk more about those as well. And a lot of times people will say, well, how do we fund the future care? First of all, I don't even know how much money do we need to fund the special needs trust in the future. And um, our firm, that's exactly what we do. We work with families and have an understanding of um, what the needs are and what the goals are and that kind of thing. And we're able to do those future care cost estimates so we can get a number of what we need to fund um, and what kind of money needs to be in the special needs trust. So it's true that some people can be super affluent and they just have rich family members and they just fund the special needs trust with millions of dollars. And that sounds fabulous. But the reality of it is, is that's not the truth for many people. Okay. So a lot of people fund their special needs trust with life insurance, whereas the beneficiary is, is the, um, the beneficiary is the special needs trust for the benefit of said child uh, with a disability. So that, that is one way that people fund care. There's a lot of ways that people fund care. A lot of times people use their retirement assets while they're alive and the remaining retirement assets can fund a special needs trust. And there are some nuances with that. The law isn't really clear and it's not always perfect to leave qualified money like IRA money to uh, a special needs trust, um, but we often do see life insurance funding those. So there's a lot of different ways that they can be funded. Okay, so when should you apply and what do you need to apply for? So first things first, um, I, I just I always like to mention that um, when you're starting down the journey for um, with SSI and Medicaid or whatever you're applying for through the Social Security Admi Administration, you need to sit down with your favorite beverage, coffee, whatever it is, um, and with your patient's hat on, because um, working with the Social Security Administration is very, very frustrating. It's frustrating at best. I'm sure that the staff there, they're, you know, um, overworked, underpaid, understaffed. There's a lot of um, issues when we're dealing with state or federal uh, agencies. So I do want to say, you know, put your patient's hat on. I I think, you know, it was challenging before COVID. It got worse after COVID. And, and I think that they're they're moving things along and, and, and trying to get better, but it is hard to get through to them. It is hard to get an appointment. It is hard to get answers. It's hard to get a return call. There's a lot of things that I would say that most people would suggest are, are frustrating. And um, as a parent myself and going, you know, gone through this process myself, um, I, I, I just want to, I, you know, I kind of truth eyes wide open. That is part of it. Um, but organizations like Family to Family, our organizations, we're here to help you and kind of navigate. And, and if you're having, you know, major issues with those types of things, um, there is help out there for you. And there are even um, people out there that are, um, with the Social Security Administration, and their whole job is to work with the vulnerable population if you're kind of hitting a, a brick wall on some of those things. So applying for SSI. Um, you know, if your child, you, you had more than $2,000 assets in your name, more than one house, more than one car, your child didn't qualify for SSI prior to them turning 18, we're, we're going to want to, um, you know, look at applying for them. You can apply for them the month of your child's 18th birthday. I suggest you wait till after they, the day that they turn 18. So don't do it the day before because their system is a little wonky. So if you'd like did it the day before they turned 18, they're going to do it based off of the parent's assets and income. So save yourself a headache and just do it after the day they turn 18. Look, if your kid is 19 or 20, you didn't know what you know now, you can still apply. You're not too late. It's not too late. So you can apply at any point. 
Um, so in April of last year, the Social Security Administration launched an online tool where you can apply online, and they suggest that that's the best way to go about um, applying for benefits. Some would argue that that's not true. Some Social Security offices are much better than others, and, and they are you know pretty attentive, and others are not great. Um, you can schedule an in-person appointment. Um, and you can do, you know, an, an application in person should you choose that. I think if, if someone were asking me what I would do at this point, I would actually do the online one um, personally, because um, when you do the online application, it saves your date, and it locks it in. So you do the online application, that's your notification that you're wanting to apply, they're going to call to schedule your appointment, but your date was saved. So if I put in January 5th today, and my appointment isn't for two or three months, um, whenever that uh, that is approved, it is going to go back to January 5th. So that's the benefit of doing the online application. Um, you're going to want to have evidence that demonstrates that the child's disability began before age 22 to qualify for childhood disability benefits. Um, they call them childhood disability benefits now, or CDB, and they were formerly referred to as disabled adult child, or DAC, um, and I always mention this because a lot of the families that we work with, they're familiar with that term DAC, and they used that term for 40 years, and then they randomly changed it to childhood disability benefits, CDB. It's the same thing, so I just want everybody to know that. Um, so as you're getting ready for your application, you're going to gather. Here's what I did. I um, created a folder on my desktop for SSI. And I created Word documents and I slid them into my folder so I had everything that I needed. You're going to gather med medical history, um, all the diagnosis history, names, address, and phone numbers of physicians. You're going to want the PCP, any specialist. If there's a psychiatrist, a psychologist, if there's a neurologist, a cardiologist, hematologist, I don't care whoever the doctors are that your, your child is um, seeing. What I have found with my kids is we see the specialists more than we see the PCP. So the records with the specialists are more accurate of depicting what the disability is and what we're doing and that kind of thing. So get all of that together, slide that into your folder. Um, they're going to want the diagnosis history. They're going to want a list of the medications. They don't care about the milligrams. They want the name of the medication. They would like to know um, what the medication is for, but don't care about the mill milligrams. If your child has worked, we need work records. Who have they worked for? What were the dates that they worked? Do you have copies of pay stubs? And they're also going to want financial records, bank statements, um, any kind of financial accounts that your child has. They're going to want that. So again, if your child is under 18, it's based off of the parent's information as far as financial information. If the child is over 18, it's based off of uh, the child's information. And the bottom line is, is what I'm telling you, is if your child is under age 18, under age 18, it's based off of you. So if you have more than $2,000 assets in your name, you have more than one car, more than one house, they're going to be denied, period. So it's not even worth your time to apply. It's not, it, it's not worth it. It's going to be denied because it's a means-based program. But like I said, it changes whenever they, um, they turn 18. And the other thing that I would say is consider chatting with your PCP first or the doctors that you're submitting for records and letting them know that you're going to apply for SSI um, and that they're going to be requesting those records. Um, I asked to see a copy. Well, if they asked for records today, what would you send? Um, I asked to see a copy of that because I knew what was going to need to be proved for the disability to be approved, and I wanted to make sure that the records correctly uh, reflected that. And there were some mistakes in the records and I had them correct them. Um, so, I mean, it, that's up to you if you want to do that. But the, the more information you have, the more accurate information, it is important to have those names, address, and phone numbers of the doctors because they're going to request medical records. If the address is wrong, they don't care. They send it to the wrong address. If your doctor doesn't respond, your, your claim could be denied just as a result of that. So um, before I move on, um, do we have a couple of questions? There is one question here. Um, it says, my six-year-old received RSDI and not SSI. I don't have enough credits because I was a teacher and under TRS. Will he be eligible for childhood disability benefits? He is six and was diagnosed at age three. So yes, under RSDI, so in this example, RSDI, this child is getting benefits under the other parent's record because either the parent is deceased or is uh, disabled themselves, 
or has retired under the Social Security um, Administration. So that's why the child is getting those benefits. And a child, even that is not disabled, would get those benefits. So if a child under 18 would get those benefits in that example, um, when the child turns 18, before they turn 18, you'll start getting letters saying that those benefits are going to stop. And what happens at that point is you need to contact the Social Security Administration and say that I have a child who has a disability who is getting RSDI under a parent's record and I need to apply to continue those benefits because the child is disabled. So they're getting those benefits regardless of being disabled. But at 18, you just got to prove that they are disabled and they can continue those benefits. And that was a situation that one of my kids was under um, as well. And they were able to continue those benefits. So, and we can talk more um, with you about that, but that is basically how that will work. So the Title II program, um, you know, the Social Security Administration, there's a lot of confusion out there. On, there's a lot of acronyms that people have out there and they throw them around and they're so confusing. Um, so we've got the Social Security Retirement Benefits. We've got RSDI, Retirement Survivors Disability Insurance, SSDI, Social Security Disability Insurance. We got CDB, Childhood Disability Benefits, formerly called DAC disabled adult child. We have DWB, disabled widower benefits, and an adult receiving Title II benefits is a beneficiary. So um, one of the things I always like to mention here that's a little bit confusing because it only makes sense, right, that if our child is disabled that we would apply for Social Security disability benefits. And that's not right, okay, because SSI is a means-based program um, it is for the disabled and for the indigent. The SSDI program, as workers, we pay into this program. So most times, there's plenty of people with disabilities that have paid into SSDI. They've worked and they've paid into the system. But a lot of our kids with disabilities have never worked. Maybe they never will. And they've never paid into the SSDI system. So therefore, they would never qualify for Social Security disability under their own record. And that's where it says if the child's disability began prior to age 22, that they can be covered under a parent's record, basically, for RSDI under a parent record. Okay. So we'll talk more about that in just a second, but it is confusing. Most often it's SSI and Medicaid when they turn 18 and then the SSDI or RSDI comes in later when a parent uh, is retired or disabled or deceased. Okay. How are we on questions, Inger? No more. We okay. don't have any I, questions right now. That was the last question that we had. So, okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, all right. So, benefits when a parent retires, becomes disabled, or passes away. So, this is the why the the why behind the um, the childhood disability benefits. So, when a parent applies to receive their own social security benefits through retirement or disability. Um, the disabled adult child, DAC, which they formally called it, is entitled to receive half of the parent's benefit. This benefit also applies to minor children that are not disabled. And again, DAC is now referred to CDB, Childhood Disability Benefits. So this is where, so for example, I'm going to just give an example here. So let's just say that my child is getting SSI. They're getting 914 a month, Okay. They are disabled. They're over age 18. They are disabled, okay? And their disability started prior to age 22. Then dad retires under Social Security. And then for this example, dad's, um, dad's benefit is, let's just say dad's benefit is $4,000 a month, okay? So in this example, when dad turns on his Social Security, the child will be eligible for childhood disability benefits under a parent's record. And that child will switch over from SSI to basically SSDI, RSDI under a parent's record. And their benefit will change from 914 a month to um, $2,000 a month, okay? And then after two years, after 24 months, they will be eligible for Medica Medicare. So uh, they'll keep Medicaid, okay? So um, if you had Medicaid prior to switching over, they basically, the pickle amendment will allow you to keep Medicaid, but after two years, you will also have Medicare, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. When a parent passes away, the disabled adult child is entitled to 75% of the de deceased parent's Social Security as long as the child remains disabled, okay? 
So this is where they're going to switch and they're going to get a higher benefit. So we want you to be aware of family maximums. If there's a non-working spouse or um, um, that may be drawing from a spouse's record of the family maximums of 150 to 188%. So this usually comes into play again with a non-working spouse. Or for example, if we have a household um, who has more than one child uh, with a disability. Um, so how are we on questions now, Inger? Mute myself, sorry, no questions at this point. I think Michelle answered one of the questions already. Okay, perfect. Okay, so um, so when it's coming, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, government benefits, how do you protect these government benefits? The first things first, you want to make sure uh, that you have your assets and your child's assets in the appropriate buckets is the first step. So again, uh, we want to just remind you that we never want to name our child outright as a beneficiary on anything we have. I'm going to repeat that because um always with every webinar, we, we always say this and, and we probably seem like a broken record, but this is one of the most common mistakes that people make is they name their special needs child as a beneficiary on a life insurance contract, on a 401k, a 403b, a pension. Um, so it's not that we don't want your child to be provided for because we do, but the way that we're going to do that is through a special needs trust. And so instead of naming John Smith, for instance, as a beneficiary on anything, we're going to name the third party special needs trust for the benefit of John Smith. And then when the money goes into that special needs trust, it won't be counted against them for the means based test for Medicaid purposes and SSI purposes. This is really, really important. So always when I say this, people are thinking, oh my gosh, I did name him as a beneficiary. What do I do now? Okay, so the first thing first is don't panic. Okay, you do need a special needs trust. Okay, the second thing is, is all of the carriers, life insurance, pensions, 401ks, they all have change of beneficiary forms that you can request through HR or through calling the uh, company directly. For instance, if you have a life insurance with a particular life insurance company, you just call that company ask for their change of beneficiary form. It's free of charge and you can get that updated. Um, another thing that we um, also um, avoid here, because some people say, well, what if I don't have a special needs trust? I'm just going to name my sister as the beneficiary. She can take care of um, little Johnny. And uh, we hear that. We, we hear that all the time. And so basically with that, um, I'm, I'm getting some feedback, um, Inger. Oh, there is a question. Okay. Uh, and she says, uh, if a parent delays drawing in, uh, retirement, which increases their payout, does that increase the adult uh, disability child's 50% payout as well? Or, or do they still draw 50% based on a full retirement age? So it's based off of the, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I wanted to mention that. So um, so what she's talking about is you can delay, you can turn on your social security as early as 62 and as late as age 70. And every year you delay turning on your social security retirement, your benefits as, as the worker are increasing 8% a year. And it is true, it will increase your benefits 8% per year, but that 50% number is going to be based off of your full retirement age or whenever you take it. So if you take it at 62, it's going to be based off of your lower amount that you took at age 62, but the cap is your full retirement age. That was a great question. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, all right. So I guess what I was saying, um, I actually am going to go back just for just for a second here, um, where they say, well, I'm going to just name my brother or I'm going to name the sibling, the beneficiary, and the beneficiary is going to take care of little Johnny's needs. It's a horrible idea, and I'm not like stepping on anybody's toes here. The reason why is um, things happen. Life happens. Emergencies happen. People get divorced. And assets get caught up in equitable distribution, and then the kid doesn't get the money. Okay, so the very smartest, best thing you can do is have a third-party special needs trust um, very specifically for your loved one with a disability that spells out how and when they're going to get the money for their benefit, those types of things. And that is going to preserve the eligibility for government benefits. It is so, so super important. So what happens if grandma and grandpa leave uh, little Johnny a million dollars and you didn't know that they were going to do that? <clears throat> a lot of times we call that an oops trust. It's a first party special needs trust. 
um, oops, you need it because somebody left money to little Johnny and they shouldn't have it and they left it to him directly. You can't just, un- you know, like say, I'm not going to take it. And once they've, you know, inherited something, they've inherited it. So at that point, you would have to have a first party special needs trust and there is a Medicaid payback on that. So we want to avoid that. So we want to have intentional conversations with any family members, um, grandparents or anybody else that might um, want to provide for your child's care in the future. So they understand how the right way to leave the money to them. So that way they can preserve their benefits um, for SSI and Medicaid. And one of the things that I want to mention, because Sometimes we have families that says, who, who even cares about SSI? It's $914 a month. Are you kidding me? That's nothing. And all the headache I have to go through uh, to get that, it's not, it's not worth it. And, and that's true for some families. That is true. Um, however, I think the bigger deal is the Medicaid. And again, we were talking about how some families say, okay, well, I have great health insurance. I don't care about Medicaid. It's the waivers that, we're t- uh, that, that matter here because some of these waiver budgets have budgets of you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year that, that wave off some of the cost of care for caring for your loved one. Um, you know, they might pay for various therapies, attendant services, respite therapists, um, respite services and things like that. And that's why you want to maintain that eligibility. Um, okay. So um, when do I need a special needs trust and or guardianship? So we've talked about the special needs trust. That's going to preserve the future benefit eligibility while providing resources for your special needs child. Um, when it comes to guardianship, we have a whole um, many webinars on guardianship on our YouTube channel, so you can check those out. You can start that process six months prior to the child turning 18. You're going to want to work with a qualified attorney. There are alternatives to guardianship. Guardianship um, is the most restrictive. The law in Texas is the least restrictive, most appropriate for the ward, W-A-R-D. It's a horrible word, but it's what they use. Um, Least restrictive, most appropriate. Okay, so a guardianship is going to take away the right to drive, the right to vote, the right to marry. There is a such thing in Texas as partial guardianship. There is also such thing as um, power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, and a supported decision-making agreement. So um, all I like to say here is um, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to know what you need or what you want. You just work with a qualified attorney, and they're going to walk you through that process and and learn more about your your loved one, learn more about the hopes and dreams and desires and their capacity and all of those types of things, and they're going to help you come up with the right um the right direction. So just know if you feel, <clears throat> if you feel nervous about that, um, they're, they're going to work with you. And the thing is, is you don't have to do something right away. So it is helpful to have a healthcare power of attorney, power of attorney and supported decision-making agreement in place at the very least at 18, especially if our kids are still in school, things like that. But I, you know, I talk to a lot of parents that they are still hopeful and optimistic. Maybe the kids are on the spectrum. Maybe they're ADHD. Maybe they're um, what I call late to the party, but we get there, right? Um, and so we really don't want to go down that process of guardianship, but we need they need a little bit of help, and we're still um, hopeful and optimistic that they're going to get there. And their brains aren't even fully formed until they're 26. So those are all um, things that, that come up from time to time, but they will help you with that. Um, okay. So let's talk about ABLE accounts and then we'll come back to if there's, a, if there's a question. So what do I need to know about an ABLE account? So an ABLE account, as I mentioned earlier, is one place that you can have money above and beyond that $2,000 that will not be accounted against you um, for SSI purposes. Um, so uh, who can have an ABLE account is disabled individuals whose disability started before age 26. Not 22, that was the SSI um, childhood disability benefits, but before age 26. And it was just announced in the last week or so that that is going up to the disability started prior to age 46, but that doesn't take effect until 2026. Um, contributions could be made by anyone. It is limited to the gift tax annual exclusion, which currently for 2023 is 17000 So you could put 17000 total annually um, into an ABLE account. Um, we never want the ABLE account to be over $100,000 because it will, they will disqualify for SSI um, benefits and Medicaid if it's over $100,000. So it's true you can have up to $500,000 in an ABLE account, but if it's over $100,000, they are going to disqualify for benefits. So keep that in mind. Um, ABLE account owners who work may contribute up to an additional $13,590. So if your loved one with a disability is working, they can um, do the $17,000 and an additional $13,590 um, into the ABLE account annually. So distributions for qualified um, disability expenses are not taxed. Um, 
earnings on distributions for non-qualified expenses are, are subject to um, ordinary income tax. And this is tax-free growth of investments. So as long as it is um, construed as achieving a better life for an individual with a disability, you can pay for it out of an ABLE account. So one thing um, that an ABLE account has is it does have a Medicaid payback on it, just like a first-party special needs trust has a Medicaid payback. Um, an ABLE account has a Medicaid payback as well. So you just want to be aware of that. At the death of the individual with a disability, Medicaid will look back and kind of they have a special calculation. You can read about it on the Internet of um, kind of a look back if there's remaining money in the ABLE account that they'll do a payback on um, what they paid out in Medicaid benefits. Okay, let's take a couple of questions, Inger. Actually, we don't have any questions, uh, I think. Oh, yes, we do. Should you leave funds as a beneficiary to a special needs trust, then the child doesn't need to fund in the trust, especially considering trustee payments, I guess, and uh, tax prep? What are the tax uh, ramifications for uh, dissolving the trust? So um, I, 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 it just depends on what money is in the trust. And we don't really give tax advice. We do work with a CPA um, who is very nuanced with um, special needs families, and she can work with you on that. Um, in the example that you have a special needs trust and the child doesn't end up needing the fund because a lot of families are in that boat. We want to plan for the worst and hope for the best. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the, the trust can be dissolved. It just depends on how it's funded. Most families fund a trust at death with their life insurance. You know, if you've got millions of dollars in the trust, they're, you know, their trusts are taxed, okay? And so you have to provide, you know, you have to send out distributions and things like that. So it, it really depends on the funding. But the bottom line is, is you can dissolve a special needs trust in the event that the child is no longer disabled or things, um, things like that. But we would be happy to re, um, provide a referral for the CPA um, that we know is nuanced in special needs and can kind of help you with those, those answers as well. So, Here's an example of what an ABLE account can pay for, because a lot of times people will say, um, why should I have an ABLE account and a special needs trust? Why don't I just have the special needs trust? Well, the ABLE account can pay for rent and mortgage payments, monthly debt service, um, food and shelter um, without a one-third reduction to SSI. So while you can pay for food and shelter out of a special needs trust, there is a one-third reduction to SSI. And the other thing is, is the ABLE account, again, grows tax-free. There's tax-free distributions. And if it can be construed as achieving a better life for an individual with a disability, you can pay for it out of an ABLE account, including transition programs, including college, and including basically any variety of things that could be construed as a, a, achieving a better life. It could be a car. It could be, I mean, there's so many things that you could pay for out of an ABLE account. And having said that, for people that have a 529C college, college fund for their kid, you can convert $17,000 a year into an ABLE account. And if you're not sure if your kid is going to go to college, I recommend converting that to an ABLE account. We can help you do that because that's going to give you more flexibility to take money out to pay for things for the individual with a disability without paying taxes and penalties if they don't go to higher education. So there are some um, some benefits to doing that and, and having both. Um, okay. Yep. Thank you, Michelle. I see that um, Michelle put the email address. Um, for Teresa Ferruzzo, she's the CPA that we recommend. She's pretty awesome. And so um, you can definitely reach out to her on that. I think you'll um, find her helpful. Um, here's um, some items. I'm not going to go through this whole list, but you guys will get this in your slides. Just some items that a special needs trust can pay for. Um, the main thing that you got to know is if you're paying monthly food and shelter, like a mortgage payment or rent or things like that, there is a one-third reduction to SSI. And so we're trying to avoid that. And then the other thing to know, is I mentioned that the ABLE account can only have up to $100,000 before they disqualify um, for SSI and Medicaid, you can have an unlimited amount of money in a third-party special needs trust. It could literally be millions upon millions of dollars in a third-party special needs trust. Um, so there, that is, uh, and that is probably, you know, ultimately, if we have a kid that has care needs for the rest of their life, it is going to take millions of dollars. It's not going to be $100,000, right, over their lifetime. So we're going to need a place to where that money can um, can be, not be counted against them, and can provide um, distributions 
for their benefit um, and, and not count against them. Okay. So here's an example. And I, I really just hit on this, uh, an example of the special needs trust that they cannot pay for it. They can, it's just not without a, a, a reduction to, to SSI. Okay. So that's the main thing. So again, SSI is designed to pay for food and shelter. Okay. So I know that we're coming around the bend from, from a time perspective. Um, you know, we can help you develop a future care plan. Um, a lot of families, we, we suggest having a future care plan and we help families all the time develop those. We want you to consider touring care facilities, transition programs. There's a lot of options. We're trying to avoid our kids um, leaving high school and then not um, having anywhere to go or anything to do. Um, we have uh, multiple residential panels creating your own shared housing on our YouTube channel. Um, so you guys can check those out. And we're not saying that you should put your child in residential, but there are a lot of cool options out there where, where um, it gives you some space, it gives them some space and some autonomy to live their life. But there's some really cool things out there. So just be um, aware. Um, the waiting list for these can be really, really long. So you want to, you know, plan early. And we always say make careful consider considerations. And we talked about this um, before naming siblings as a future caregiver. Have a plan. If you're incapacitated or you're no longer here on earth, um, maybe the sibling is the trustee of the trust that helps, um, you know, set up care for your loved one, and then they can have a non-obligatory relationship uh, with with your loved one. Um, we're running out of time. We've got complete um, webinars on these waivers. The wait list, you guys hear about the wait list all of the time. Um, this link here is going to allow you to put your zip code in, and it's going to tell you who your local authority is. For, for Harris County, it's the Harris Center for Fort Bend County, it's it's Texana. Those are some examples, but it'll tell you exactly who your local authority is. But so if you want to get yourself on the, your child on HCS, Texas Home Living Community First Choice Interest List, um, you're going to call your local authority and get them on that list. The phone number for MDCP Class DBMD is right here. And then, of course, we've got the Star Plus waiver as well. Um, this is just kind of a breakdown of the various waivers in the state of Texas. Um, we've kind of got several slides on this. And again, if you need more education on this, go to our YouTube channel and look at our um, waiver presentation um, for that. And we can help you with a little bit more details. But there's a lot of waivers out there. You want to make sure that your child is on those interest lists. Um, thinking about um, post-educational um, high school you know, options, there are a lot of programs out there. We've got um, complete webinars on um, college and higher education post high school for individuals with disabilities. There's all kinds of programs out there. We've had a lot of webinars on this. So check those out. Look at these programs early. What are the requirements? When do the applications open up? How many students do they take? Is it in person or is it online? There's so many things uh, to consider. I think all of these, not all of them are college programs like non-Parel is not a college program. Uh, uh, Lynn University is actually in Florida. It's not in Texas, but there's, there's a lot of programs out there. So um, do check out those webinars on that. So a summary of what we've discussed, um, you know, these are, we've kind of really hit the highlights on a lot of these things. And again, there's webinars on every single one of these topics that are an hour long, lots of questions and answers, and you can hear the questions and answers as well. So do check those out. Um, in, when you get the slides later today, you can click this link and this is going to show you what our upcoming webinars are. Um, if, you know, there are topics that you're interested in and you'd like to register for those. Um, I always like to say, um, a lot of times I'm the voice. It's not always that Michelle's out here today too. Um, uh, oftentimes I'm the voice on these webinars, but um, we work on a collaborative team here at Consolidated Planning Group. I work on an awesome team and I always like to have um, some, uh, some names with the faces. Again, we are members of the Special Needs Planning Academy and nationally certified as Social Security Advisors. So we're here to help. Um, you guys are in the right place. Uh, and I know, I know as a parent, a lot of these webinars were born um, with Consolidated Planning Group because me as a parent, when I was transitioning with my kids, I was frustrated on how crazy difficult everything is. And um, so that's why a lot of these webinars um, were born is just to educate you and empower you and let you know that you can do this. It does feel overwhelming, um, but there is help out there. Family, family, uh, family to family is out there to help you. We're here to help you. Um, and you can navigate that. This All of our webinars are chock full of information, little nuggets that you can put in your toolbox that you can say, huh, I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, I, I can handle this. So um, 
we look forward to, to working with you. We always offer um, free consultations. So sometimes in meetings like this, you had a question maybe you didn't want to ask or maybe we didn't get to it. We always offer a free consultation. So do reach out to our team. This QR code uh, will take you to a calendar where you can schedule a one-on-one uh, meeting with us to talk more about your situation. I know we're out of time, but I do want to answer any additional questions. For anybody that wants to stay on, I'd be happy to answer any additional questions. Right now we have uh, someone just says, thank you. Holly says, thank you very much. So much. Okay, Okay, perfect. Um, Let's see. Yep, I I think we got it. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you for your time today. And again, um, we truly look forward uh, to working with you. And again, don't forget the family to family. Um, the special education parent conference and resource fair. I have to say, um, I've attended a lot, and this is this is my favorite one. I, it is. It has so many great vendors, so many great speakers, so mu- so much information. So if you're feeling like I just need help, I just need resources, I just need to learn a little bit more about this, make it your plan uh, to be there on January 21st. You'll be glad you did, and you'll make sure you'll go uh, next time for sure. Uh, So thanks so much. Thanks, Inger. Thank you, family to family. And I hope all of you have a great day. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.